702, your number one news and talk station. It is now six minutes past five. If you have just joined us, a very good morning to you. My name is Errol Ballantyne, and I'm with you for the next 55 minutes. Uh, this is a health and well-being hour, and uh, our guest on the line for the next little while is Professor Rufiwe Masakela. Good morning to you. Is it doctor, professor? What do I call you? Can I just call you Rufiwe? Hello? Uh, it's 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 Professor, but you can call me Rafilia. Thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> Good morning. Warm welcome to the show. Thank you so much. All right, we're talking pediatric pulmonology. Uh, can we extend that uh, to adult uh, um, pulmonology as well in certain areas, Prof? Well, all I can say is I will plead innocence where I cannot answer, yes. but um, my area of speciality <laughs> is children. children. Fair enough. Yes. Okay. All yes. right. Numbers to dial 011-883-0702 or 021-446-0567. Or you can SMS on 31702 or 31567. So pulmonology, uh, looking at uh, the, the whole area of pul- pulmonology, it's a, a special a medical specialty that deals with disease involving the respiratory tract, um, I suppose, in, in simple terms. Um, it's, it's to do with areas such as um, pneumonia and asthma, TB, emphysema, all those kind of things, yeah? Yes, that's absolutely correct. All right. Now, as far as children, let's, st- let's start with, with children uh, and pulmonary, children problems with the lungs. What kind of issues do we see with with children that age, what, five, six, seven? One wouldn't think they would have problems with the lungs other than perhaps asthma. So let's explore some of those issues. What are they? Okay. Um, I think, Errol, if you look at uh, diseases in childhood, and unfortunately, if you look in Africa, even in South Africa, respiratory diseases are actually the third um, most common killers of children. And the biggest killer of children under the age of five is actually pneumonia. So um, in the uh, pediatric population, pneumonia is actually a very important condition. Mm -hmm. And it's where we're actually seeing a lot of diseases as well as deaths in in South Africa. And TB would be in that group because TB is also a a respiratory infection. but uh, unfortunately, pneumonia is still the biggest contributor of deaths for children under the age of five. Why, why is that, Prof? Is it uh, prevalent in Africa rather than anywhere else in the world, more so? Not really. I think one of the biggest uh, issues in terms of deaths from pneumonia, uh, it's actually about access to care. Um, because uh, pneumonia, unfortunately, is... Uh, fairly easily treatable if people access care. In children, unlike in adults, viral infections are usually, they cause about 40% of infections in childhood in terms of uh, burden of pneumonia. Mm. Uh, so viral infections are actually the most common cause of, of pneumonia in children, unlike in adults, where bacterial infections are the biggest contributor. But if people do not access care, That is, if a child becomes ill and they do not get access to care um, in a hospital or uh, a clinic, this is where we see the highest um, mortalities. 
So unfortunately, people do not recognize early enough that the child is ill and that they require to be seen urgently. And it's simple symptoms like a child breathing faster than normal, if they're struggling to breathe and they're grunting, if they uh, are very become very lethargic, that they're not drinking as they would normally or eating as they would be normally, and if they have a fever. Those are very simple symptoms mm. that... Uh, Parents need to look out for, um, and they really need to present to a hospital in order for their children to access their care. Now, if they, if parents don't know, as as you're pointing out, uh, what the symptoms are or what to do, um, we have a massive education problem here. Is that right? That is absolutely correct, because I think, I mean, in South Africa, we have access to clinics and hospitals. But the issue is if people are not able to access those services, this is where we're seeing the highest um, burden of disease. Mm. And I think people are underestimating how sick a child is and are presenting late when the child is actually really very ill. And um, in terms of TB, which is also another very important cause of um, uh, respiratory infections, For example, any child who's under the age of five who is exposed to somebody who has tuberculosis needs to actually get treated to prevent them getting the infection. And this is something that's not really well known Mm. because all children under the age of five, if they're exposed to the TB bacillus, they're at very high risk of getting TB. So all those children in every household need to go to a clinic to be tested. If they're not, they do not have active TB, they still need to get TB prevent, prevention treatment. And that is something that we see is still not being done in a lot of cases where there's a lot of exposures. And we know that we have in South Africa the highest TB burden in the world. Mm. Um, yes. So these are very simple things that if people know about them and they present and get um, treatment would prevent all these Mm. um, mortalities. Uh, Tell us about uh, TB and and exposure. Now, how do you know if somebody has got TB or you'll hear coughing or sneezing or, or, or am I wrong? Are those the symptoms? Okay, the symptoms of TB, usually we say somebody who has a prolonged cough what we call a chronic cough. If somebody has been coughing uh, persistently for more than two weeks, if they lose weight, if they sweat a lot at night, they should go and get themselves tested for TB. So a very uh, persistent and chronic cough with weight loss or uh, excessive sweating, you should go and get tested for tuberculosis. You're talking about um, children being exposed to a TB carrier. So does that mean that in the very short term, I mean, you you meet somebody uh, who has TB, a child is in the same room or exposed in in some other way to to this particular TB carrier. Does it mean that the child is is at high risk for those few minutes or half an hour that they're together in the same room or, or, you know, close by? Right. What we what we say is somebody who's a close contact. It's somebody who's either living in the same household, or okay. somebody who's in that same vicinity as a child for a prolonged period. For example, if a child is going to a crèche and yes. the person at the crèche is has got tuberculosis because they'll be in the in the 
enclosed environment with that person for a long time. And somebody who's living in the same household, those are important contacts. Okay, so it's not a cursory sort of contact where you meet somebody no. for a few... Okay, so it's prolonged. No. So yes. now, is there, is there not an issue also in terms of uh, having treatment for children that he's got or she's just got a cough, just they'll get over it or give them two pills and a goggle and they'll get better, it's nothing to worry about. Is that what you see or hear a lot of, people kind of ignoring it or playing it down? Yes. Unfortunately, uh, you know, as in everything else, we all try to use home remedies to avoid going to the clinic yes. or the doctor. Over the counter, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> but unfortunately, if the person does not get better, for example, we know that children, young children under the age of two, will get 10 to 12 viral infections every single year. That's normal. So children will have cough, a cough now and again and a runny nose now again and again. But if the child is coughing, but they are having difficulty, like difficulty with breathing, they're grunting, they look tired, they're lethargic, they're not drinking well. Those are things that people should be looking out for. I mean, a child can cough and run around and still be well, but if they ha- start having other symptoms, then that's when the mothers should be concerned. Okay, and as I was saying a little while ago, generally um, parents don't have that kind of information or they don't have uh, enough motivation even to take the child to the clinic. What what kind of advice do you have as soon as you, a child has a cough, do you rush him or her off to the clinic or are there certain tests that you can do yourself? Okay, no, I think if a child, if a child is coughing and... Uh, uh, the one other important thing is young young children, babies under the age of one month, if they have any kind of fever or they are coughing persistently, they should go to a hospital because we know that the, uh, in very young children in the neonatal period, they, they can have a very serious infection which uh, presents with very non-specific symptoms. They can just have a, a high fever or they can have a, a hypothermia. That is when the temperature goes below normal. Mm. can just have a, 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 a minor cough. And the, the, prob- the symptoms that young, young babies present with can be fairly subtle. So if you have a very young baby under the age of a month mm. who starts to be ill, who stops drinking like normal, who's very lethargic, who has a fever, those children definitely need to be to be seen at a at a clinic or hospital. Okay. But for the older child mm. who is running around and is playing and has a, a minor cough, those children are usually fine. The one good thing about children is if they're not well they stop playing. So the child who's not playing is not well. Yes, and they get the sort of hangdog look, don't they? They they just look so sad. Absolutely. All right, numbers to dial 011-883-0702 or 021-446-0567. We can SMS on 31702-31567. We're in discussion with our guest for this morning, and she'll be with us till 6 o'clock. That's Professor Rafilwe Masa. 
Melissa Keller. Any questions you have about lung issues? Uh, she's a pulmonologist. Any questions you've got, give us a call or send an SMS. We're talking about pediatric pulmonology, but we can extend that to, uh, to adult pulmonology as well. Um, to some degree. SMS's Jerry, interesting question here from Jerry. It says, Hi doctor, I stopped smoking two years ago. My lungs were in a bad state, but much better now. Is there anything I can take to help the lungs or is the damage already done? Oh, okay. I, I think I'm very, very glad. I'll first say that I'm very glad that he stopped smoking. That's a very good thing because I think one of the biggest um uh, causes of uh, lung problems is actually tobacco smoke. Um, smoking cigarettes causes uh, damage to the lung, uh, and I think you previously mentioned a little bit about emphysema mm-hmm. and um, COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. These are diseases that are related to smoking. Unfortunately, once you smoke, then the damage has been done to the lung. There's very little in terms of repair that can happen, and this is why we. Uh, strongly advocate people to not smoke because once the damage has been done to the lungs, there's not much by way of recovery. Um, stopping smoking is good, but it's not, there will be very little recovery um, if you've already had damage already done. You know, that that's really interesting. I quit smoking maybe 12, uh, 15 years ago. And I remember at the time my GP said, that's great because now your lungs will reconstitute themselves and they won't get back to where they were, but you'll have a big improvement. It'll, it'll clear themselves out over the years. Is there any validity to that? Well, you see, the thing about cigarette smoke is cigarettes um, uh, have a lot of... Uh, Toxins which cause swelling or inflammation in the airways. So when you're smoking, you're basically causing inflammation in your lungs. And this is why you probably experienced when you were smoking the chronic smoker's cough. In the morning, you'd wake up and you'd have a lot of phlegm in the lungs. That's me. Now, <laughs> yes. Now, once you stop smoking, you would have improvement in terms of the cough because yes. you will have removed away that trigger. Yes. But if there's any damage to the, uh, what we call, in, in the lungs, we have little sacs that uh, are called alveoli. And, um, and if you have had damage to that, as well as a supporting structure in those alveoli, this is why people get emphysema. If that has happened, you cannot get it. You cannot recover from that. You would feel better because you don't have the persistent uh, mucus and yes. um, coughing. But the damage that's been done will not improve. Would you see spotting on the lungs through an X-ray? Well, if you have a significant emphysema, we would see that the capacity of your lungs, the volume of the lungs, would be bigger than another person. Mm. Um, but you, you, normally, we see it better if we do special X-ray CT scans, as well as we make make you do lung function testing, then we see that the volume in the lungs is much bigger than normal. Okay. Let's go to the lines. Uh, Yusuf, you've been holding there a while. Morning. Thanks, Yusuf. In Benoni. Morning, Ero. How are you, Ero? Good, thanks. And you? Fine, thank you. Ero, let me ask the prophet, uh, can you have TB of other parts of the body, like the ear, the spinal cord, and what sort of blood test do you normally do to rule out that, uh, that you don't have... Uh, be settled in other parts. I'll tell you why, Errol, because, you know, in my family, there's somebody that passed away, and after many years, 
they diagnosed him with a tibia of the spinal cord and then eventually passed away because the diagnosis hmm. was done very late. Gosh, okay, interesting question. Prof? Yes. Um, uh, you said the answer is yes. Uh, tuberculosis is not just only a disease of the lung. The lung is usually the primary target, which is uh, because we actually inhale the TB bacillus, and then it gets into our, our lymph nodes in our lungs, and it can spread around our lungs, but then from the lungs it can actually spread to the rest of the body. Now, it can... Literally, TB, is, uh, it was called in the old days the, the great mimicker. It is exactly that because you can actually get TB in anywhere in the body. It can spread to any organ um, and cause disease anywhere in the body. Hmm. And unfortunately, when it's uh, in other areas that are quite are put uh, in inverted commas, unexpected, it may be delayed that... Um, people do not realize that it is the tuberculosis which is causing the symptoms. Mm. But we know uh, we, uh, TB of, of, the, of the spine um, is very common. It, was, it used to be called POTS disease, and it actually uh, causes the, the back to um, be, have an abnormal curvature, and it's quite a well-known area um, that is affected by tuberculosis. Gosh, thanks for that call, Yusuf. Uh, that, does that make sense to you? Does that answer your question? Yes, and there are one more thing, uh, mm. can, uh, uh, exhaust fumes like from trucks, diesel, and so forth. Can mm-hmm. that cause any that symptoms of TB or so? Uh, Yusuf, that's a very important and very interesting question. We know that, um, uh, for example, trucks and cars, but mostly trucks because they actually so the um, there's a lot of fumes mm. that we get from trucks, but also from cars, motorbikes, etc. These are what um, they cause a lot of pollution, and uh, these pollutants can be very irritating to the to the lungs, and they can also they have been shown to cause severe symptoms like a person have people having lots of uh, chronic coughing. Uh, people can be predisposed to getting pneumonias, lower respiratory tract infections, and there has also been some data suggesting that people who are exposed uh, to a lot of pollution may potentially be at risk of other lung diseases, including tuberculosis. So it's not only just also the pollution from outside, mm-hmm. it's also indoor pollution where people are cooking inside the house with open fires, with paraffin, um, coal, all those pollutants. Also, indoor pollution is an, an, an important mm. risk factor for getting lots of respiratory diseases as well. Yeah. Thanks for the call. Mm. Interesting. Thanks, Yusuf. And uh, is, it, is it Mardi? Did I get that right in Vrindavan? Hello, hello, sir. Hello, yes. Did I get your name right? Is it Mardi? Okay, okay. go ahead. K-H-E-L-E. Okay. Talk to the doctor, please. Yes, go ahead. She's listening. Hello, doctor. Mm. Good. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, I'm phoning regarding uh, the coughing. Um, a while ago, I, I normally, maybe once in a year, I will have this uh, constant coughing. But each time I go to the doctors, they've done the x-ray and all those things, but uh, when I mean, they're checking the TV, like whatever, and then I'm not smoking... And then um, it will disappear for a while. For like now, I think I think now it's almost 
two to three weeks now. Mm. Uh, they did have a flu, but now the flu is gone. But now the coughing, especially when I, I, I slept, it's become more severe. And even during the day, it's not like if it will come constantly. It will come once, but when it comes once, when it comes, it will just carry on and on and on until I drink the water, then it will subside. Mm-hmm. Could I ask you one or two questions, uh, yes, Madam Doctor. Yes, Doctor. Um, the cough that you say you have, you say you're getting it at night? Or yes, is it during at, the day? Yeah, yeah, during the day and mm-hmm. at night. But I find it at night is becoming, becoming more severe, right. unlike during the day. During the day, you say, but it will come, like, occasionally. Right. And then and when, you- when it comes... It will take me a while, like coughing, 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 coughing. Yeah. Right. And, and when you when you are very active, when you are trying to run, does the cough get? Do you, does the cough come? Does it get worse? Okay. Last week Saturday morning, I did take some uh, walk, and then during that time, while I was working, um, it was there, but you know, it was it was it subsided, it subsided. But uh, once again, it started again. But now each time I go to the doctor and ask, they say, they've checked the, the TV, like the, the symptom that you said uh, is the TV symptom. They are not, mm. TV, I mean, TV is not there. Like I said, I'm not uh, sweating and, you know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you see, I think it may be, I'm just uh, thinking on top of my head, it may be a number of things. And one of them could be, uh, probably be something like asthma. Um, and what you're saying is you're getting it in, uh, seasonally, that around the same time of the year, you're getting the coughing, which gets worse. Um, because usually now around this time, people who have a lot of allergies, you know, we're going to the spring season. Mm. Um, there's a lot of pollen in the air and people get quite symptomatic. So what I would suggest okay. is that, Mukhele, you should probably go to your um, to a physician. Uh, just not your general practitioner. If you can go to a hospital where they can maybe refer you to a specialist in lung disease, or you can go to a physician and let them check you out also to look for, to see if you don't have any allergies because you may actually have asthma. Um, Yeah, so they can check you out to see if you're not. So you're saying go go to go to a hospital rather than just to a GP and go to a specialist. Yes, I think so. We can have extra tests done. Thanks for the call, Michele. All right, we're talking on the line to Professor Rafiwe Masekela. Back after this. Call us on O double one double eight three O seven O two or O two one double four six O five six seven. Or you can SMS on 31702 or 31567. Some interesting SMSs coming through uh, for you, Doc. Let me just take some of these. Um, Sam in Thunderbale Park wants to know, does snuff affect the lungs? Snuff is basically tobacco, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Well, snuff is an interesting one because uh, you don't actually inhale it and you chew it. Um, it uh, there has not been very convincing data that it affects the lungs, but um, uh, it it is quite bad for your dental health, your teeth, mm-hmm. and um, in in other parts of the world where people actually chew things, uh, beetle nuts has been shown to cause uh, an increased risk of cancer. So uh, for the people who chew the snuff, it can cause oral cancers, but the people who take who sniff it. 
you're sniffing the, the, the snuff, it can cause a lot of respiratory symptoms as well. Um, but it's not uh, been shown to be as bad as tobacco smoke in terms of the risk for, for cancer. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then uh, somebody says, I have something that looks like acid reflux. Sometimes I cough a lot. Does that mean my lungs are at risk? What's the correlation between acid reflux and, and lung issues? Okay, that is a very interesting and uh, quite difficult uh, issue because we, it is probably one of those chicken and egg situations. Because when you cough a lot, um, it actually predisposes you to having acid reflux. Now, we know that some people who have acid reflux as well as non-acid reflux, they can have respiratory symptoms as well because what happens is some of the reflux gets aspirated into the lungs and then the, people, uh, the person can cough. So what we generally recommend, if you have severe reflux with chest symptoms, then um, that person needs to actually get some anti-reflux medication on a trial basis to see if it will improve the symptoms. So acid reflux means that what you've ever, whatever you've eaten isn't digested properly, it comes back up the system, is that right? And some of it no. will go into your lungs. Is that, is that it's a simple It's not word? about digestion. It's uh, at the bottom of our esophagus, which is the food pipe. We have a, a sort of a barrier, what we call a, a, a sort of a valve that prevents prevent food from coming back up. Okay. So if you, if you have reflux, it means that once you've eaten, some of the food comes back into the esophagus okay. and then it can go into um, your lungs because it goes up, back up after you've eaten. It's got nothing to do with di- digestion. Okay. Now, for example, if you're coughing a lot, you can increase the pressure in your stomach and then some of this, uh, the food can come back up due to that increased pressure because of the persistent coughing. And this is why okay. I'm saying there's this chicken, chicken and egg, egg yes. situation. Yeah. If you cough a lot, you'll probably have reflux or whether reflux itself can cause uh, coughing is something that we do see. But um, if you have reflux with coughing, it's, it's a good idea that you get a, an anti-reflux medication mm-hmm. to see if it will improve the symptoms. Is, is there some over-the-counter medication or is it all prescription made? That would be... Um, over-the-counter medication, what it would basically do is probably just form a layer, things um, that would form a layer over the uh, food to prevent it coming up. But then if you have such significant reflux, you probably need to get a prescription medication to um, reduce the amount of acid um, right. in, the, in, in the stomach. Very interesting. All right, uh, this is from Trish. It says, can an adult in the 50s become asthmatic? I've had a wheezing, whooping tightness to my chest on the occasion, and the medical profession uh, nebulizes me to ease it. That's from Trish. So, can an adult become asthmatic? Yes, absolutely. Um, you can get asthma in, in, old, in, an old, in your old age, you can get asthma, especially, for example, if you start having working in a type of occupation that puts you at risk, uh, because we do have what we call occupational asthma. For example, if you work in a platinum mine or you're exposed to uh, certain dust and particles, you can develop asthma later on. But you can also get just the normal atopic asthma in, in your older age. Hmm. Okay, so it's not a disease of children only. <laughs> No. <laughs> okay. But the difficulty, of course, I'm sure you'll agree with me, Prof, is when, when, you, when you talk about uh, 
chest problems and coughing and wheezing and chest tightness. There could be so many uh, different causes for those symptoms. Absolutely. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the, a lot of the symptoms that we see is with people with respiratory diseases are very limited. And there's a wide number of things or causes that can cause those symptoms. Um, but one thing I would like to point out is particularly in very young children. If you have a child under the age of three months who has coughing and wheezing, we know the most common thing would be viral infections, but if it doesn't resolve, because children can get born with uh, abnormalities either in the lung, in the airway, or in the heart that can also cause those very symptoms. Hmm. So, yes. And you can have that then, if, if it's not attended to as a very young child, you can have that for life. Yes, that's, that's absolutely true. So I think, I think what I would like to get across my message is if you have a child that has these symptoms that are not resolving with a normal medication that is given, like the nebulizers, etc., those children should really be uh, referred for more investigations because it's probably they're not asthma, it's something else. And we see that a lot. And unfortunately, these diseases are not attended to quickly enough. Mm-hmm. They, can, they can be damaged down to the lungs, which is, as I've already mentioned, irreparable. Right. Uh, interesting question from Geraldine, who says, what is croup? Aha. Uh-huh. Well. <laughs> you, like, you like that, Prof. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, croup is basically a viral infection which affects the top part of the airway. So in, 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 it's usually a disease of childhood where the child would have what we call a barking cough. So when they cough, it's quite a, a specific sound and it's basically due to a viral infection. It can be quite uh, mild in which, in which case the child will have this cough. It will clear um, with very little medication. Or if it's, if it's quite severe and the child ha- is distressed, that is, they start breathing fast, they get air hungry, we, it, it is easily treatable with um, just some nebulizations and some oral medication or intravenous medication that we give in the hospital. But it's a very common disease of childhood and um, it's got a very typical cough, but it, mm. it does resolve. And, and you can get over the counter meds for that, can't you? Uh, you can get, uh, I think, in terms of the uh, croup itself, we usually treat it with nebulized. Um, adrenaline, so you will not be able to get adrenaline over the counter, mm-hmm. but you can probably get it from the clinic or your local uh, medical practitioner. Yeah, I'm, it's, I'm, it's, it's, yeah, it's a very easily treatable condition. Yeah, and, and so many kids, I remember my kids, they had croup. I mean, it just happens so often. Um, mm-hmm. Talking about nebulizing, what, what actually does, what is that and what does that do? Well, well basically what a nebulizer is, it's a machine that well, you, you, we can put either medication or saline in the machine because what that machine does, it breaks down those particles to make them small enough so that they can go down and uh, go down into our airways. Because it's only, um, I know this may sound very technical, but you need to have a very, very small particle of less than five microns if you remember from science, that's extremely mm-hmm. small, in order for them to actually reach the smaller distal parts of our lungs. So these nebulizers just break down those solutions to make them small enough 
so that they can actually go down to the smallest part of that airway, which is where usually the problem is. Right. So that's what they maybe lives to. Okay, and then mm. Paul wants to know uh, what are the chances of my of what are the chances of not contracting TB in an enclosed taxi in midwinter? Is there an increased risk in winter? Yeah, that is a very good and important question. The one defense we have against TB is actually open windows ventilation. TB is easily um, avoided if you are in a well-ventilated space. So I understand this issue that in winter, everybody in the taxi will want to close the windows because it's very cold, but then it just means that all of us are then at risk of not only contracting TB, but most importantly, as you're probably all experiencing, viral infections and flus, mm, etc. We, uh, a weapon we have against viruses, TB, is to actually vent, uh, have open windows, mm-hmm. ventilated spaces. All right. Um, Carbo, we're coming to you in just a moment. Let me take this SMS. I suffered from pulmonary embolism. I'm on warfarin and undergoing nuclear INR tests. Is it safe for me to do physical training? Does warfarin cause liver disease? If so, what can I sub- can I substitute that? I've been on it for eight years. What's, what is pulmonary, pulmonary embolism and how does warfarin fit into that? Well, I think uh, pulmonary embolism is where you actually have a blood clot that is uh, lodges in your blood vessels that supply blood to the lungs. So that's what a pulmonary embolism is. And the reason why he's getting warfarin is warfarin is a blood thinner. So what warfarin does, it, it, it reduces the risk of that blood clotting happening again. Um, and uh, as you may uh, understand, if you have a big blood clot that blocks your blood supply to your lungs, that's a very high risk and dangerous thing to happen. Mm. So this is why he's kept consistently on the blood thinner, the warfarin, to prevent the blood clot coming back again. Mm. Now, if you have a, uh, I just want to address the issue of exercise. If you're on a blood thinner, you are then at risk of getting bruising, easy bruising, easy bleeding, because you're obviously on a product that makes your blood to clot less easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would say that it's important that uh, this person not do a lot of uh, activities that would cause a lot of trauma because then the risk of bleeding into your muscles into uh, and bruising would be higher if you're doing very, very high-impact activities. Right, uh, okay. Mm. And, and is there any substitute uh, for, for warfarin? Does it cause liver disease? Well, the most important thing, and I'm sure this person would know, that if you're on warfarin for a long time, you have to go regularly for checks for them to check that your INR, which is something that you mentioned, that you, your warfarin is at correct level so that you do get that anti-clotting um, uh, mechanism of the drug. And you have to get tested regularly for the side effects of the drug. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's on warfarin, they have to definitely be seen very regularly so that you can basically, they can be checked, number one, that the INR is at sufficient levels, and B, that they're not getting complications from the drug. On the question of, of 
exercise and then we'll go back to the lines it's it's important would you say that if you if you're just not feeling a hundred percent if you have a cough or you've had uh, some kind of headache or you've got pain somewhere that you should actually just uh, try and cut down or avoid exercise until you're feeling better especially if you had flu yeah, that is a very important thing because uh, uh, especially in winter if you have a viral infection it is very important that you need to cut down the activity levels and let your body rest and get better again. Because we see that even in very uh, 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 very active people who are very fit, uh, who like to push themselves, uh, viral infections, remember, you may just have a flu. It can also cause what we call a myocarditis. You can have, uh, it can cause a, an infection to your heart and then if you do too much exercise it can even cause death. Yeah. So it's important that if you have a flu, you just need to slow down, let your body heal. Within three to four days, you should start to feel better, and then you can gradually restart your activity levels again. Carbo in Winchester, thanks for holding. Good morning. 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 Yes, go ahead. How are you? I have just been diagnosed with... Oh, Cabo, sorry, line. sorry. before you go, it's a terrible line. Um, just just start again. Okay, let me just... That's, that's better. Yeah, that's better. Okay, go ahead. I have just been diagnosed with very large lymph nodes in the chest. So what would be the cause for that? Large? Larger than, larger than normal lymph nodes. Large loads in the chest. Lymph nodes in the Large chest. Large yeah. All right. Do you want? Do you want to listen on the radio because it's a very bad line. Um, no, thank you. Thanks. Okay, go ahead, Prof. Yes, I think that's also another one of those things where we can have a whole long list of problems. So, large lymph nodes in the chest can be any number of things. Number one, it can be an infection in the lungs. One of those would potentially be tuberculosis. It can be due to um, uh, other diseases, autoimmune diseases, it can, uh, sarcoidosis. It can also be from tumors, from cancers. So lymph nodes in the chest can be any one of a large number of things. So um, I think if, this, if there has been evidence of nodes in the chest, then he needs to go for more specialist investigations. For the, uh, for the doctors to work out exactly what is causing the large lymph nodes. Mm. Yeah, so it can be a, a, num- a number of uh, infections, a number of things. So I think he needs to get uh, more, more investigations done. Mm. Thanks for the call, Akaba. It's back to the SMS. It says, Hi, Doc. My son has asthma for three years. He's 10 years old. After meals, he coughs constantly. Uh, this is on, he's on antibiotics and is two kilograms overweight. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. That, uh, uh, that one is uh, probably fairly easy to resolve. Asthmatics should not be getting antibiotics. Uh, I think the important thing uh, for, for the son is that he needs to be using his asthma controller medication. Um, what usually happens is if you have asthma, you'll get two types of medication given to you. You'll get what is a controller, which needs to be used every day, and a reliever spray that needs to be used only once you are coughing or the child is not well. I would suggest that if the child is still coughing so much, 
they need to either go to a clinic or a local asthma clinic in their area um, for A, for the child, for them to see if the medication he's on is enough because he may need extra medication or if he's not taking his uh, controller medication every day, that may be the reason why he's continuously coughing. You said if you're on... Um you said you can't take antibiotics if if you're on if you have asthma. Is that right? Yes, because what what happens? Asthma, the cough is not because you have a bacterial infection; it's because you have persistent inflammation in the lungs because of asthma. So taking antibiotics will not resolve the problem. Okay. You need to uh, be taking your anti-inflammatory treatment, and if you have such a severe cough, we would normally give an oral steroid to get the inflammation under control and get the cough better. So antibiotics will not be the solution to an asthmatic who's consistently coughing. Okay. Question from Faisal. You're going to have something to say about this, I'm sure, Prof. Please ask the professor about the effects of passive smoking on members of a household, including a two- and a three-year-old. Faisal, that is a brilliant question. Smoking... um, for we know that for the smoker themselves is dangerous, but passive smoking is even more dangerous for the people around the smoker because the toxins are actually they are more to the people that inhale the cigarette smoke around the, the smoker themselves. So smoking in the house when you have young children is the worst thing that can be done because young children will have a lot of coughing, they will even get wheezing, and they will get uh, damage to their lungs if they're exposed consistently to the uh, tobacco smoke. Mm. And it's very important that people who smoke, even if you, if you smoke, you should not smoke inside the house. It should be outside in a well-ventilated area away from the children because those children will continuously have a smoker's cough just like the smoker. Mm. And they'll be at risk of getting lots and lots of lung infections. There, le- well, I don't know about whether there's legislation, but there's certainly uh, discussions about children in cars with smokers? Absolutely, because a car is also an enclosed space and it's also the worst place. It's just like we were talking in a taxi mm. to be smoking because then there's even more chance that the children have higher exposure levels than they would otherwise. Mm. So in the car, in the house, and I've heard from a lot of people saying I'm smoking in the toilet, absolutely not. You should smoke outside and in a well-ventilated area. The thing is, we didn't know all this stuff back in the day, you know, years ago. I mean, it was, it was kind of cool to smoke. Uh, and, and, and so now one's looking at all the consequences of smoking. And it's a pity that we didn't know all this decades ago. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It, it's very uh, unfortunate that um, this is not known. And uh, it was, you know, when people are, are growing up, they think that cigarettes is cool. But cigarettes are probably the worst thing because not only do they cause a lot of these things that we're talking about in lungs, remember cigarettes cause cancer. Mm. They're the biggest risk factor 
for any cancer that you know. Here's the thing, though. You get some people who are serious cigarette smokers. They'll smoke 50, 60 a day, and they'll be doing that for decades, and they'll go for a lung test, and they'll come back and say, my, my lungs are fine. You know, my grandmother smoked 100 cigarettes a day, and she lived till she was 96, uh, so it's fine. W- what do you say? How do you get around that kind of comment? Well, um, what all I can say to that comment is, If you are willing to take a gun with a bullet in it and you're willing to play Russian roulette, you have a one in six chance of shooting yourself in the head. So go for it. If you want to take that cigarette smoke and you're willing to play Russian roulette, that's that's the chance you take. There's a five in six chance that you will die, but then there's also that one in six chance that you will die. So that is what you're doing when you're actually smoking. That's quite a, mm, that's, that's a very powerful answer. That kind of puts it into perspective. Eh? Yes. Oh, okay. So, so they avoid. Avoid it. Please avoid cigarette smoke. And another uh, thing that, now that we're talking about cigarettes and coolness, you know, is e-cigarettes. e-cigarettes. Oh, yes. They are not safe. They are not safe. They also have toxins in them. And they are being sold as uh, cool and being not, not harmful, that is absolutely not true. That is also another thing that people need to know about. Mm. We don't know all the risks of e-cigarettes, just like we didn't know all the risks of tobacco yes. 50 years ago. Mm. And I think um, e-cigarettes are the next uh, problem that we'll be facing because the people do not understand that they also just as risky because you are inhaling also particles into your lungs. Uh, some questions about uh, acid reflux. Um, somebody says, I had got acid reflux 10 years ago. Do I need to be on chronic treatment? Another one says, acid reflux in my lungs. Can the damage to the lungs be cured? How, how serious are the consequences of acid reflux? No. I mean, if you just have a one source episode of acid reflux, I want to make that clear. That's not going to make you cough. Um, all of us have maybe had one episode where we've had uh, a huge meal and have had a little bit of reflux. The good thing about that type of reflux is if you, if you get uh, some medication within two or three days, you actually feel feeling better and it's gone. Um, having reflux does not equate you, uh, you having damage to your lungs. For those people who have severe reflux, severe enough for them to cause respiratory problems that's when they should be worried. But all of us will at one point in our lives have a little bit of reflux around Christmas. That doesn't mean that we will have, we're at risk of getting damaged right. to our lungs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are SMSs coming through about the e-cigarettes, but you've, you've answered that, the vapour. Uh, it's just, you know, one hasn't got enough information about it, but uh, you're saying that there are dangers. Clearly there are dangers with it as well. Yeah. Um, is there a cure for silicosis wants to know and how much for a lung transplant can you get a lung transplant absolutely okay. uh, you, you can get a lung transplant uh, but unfortunately uh, in the state sector it's quite an expensive uh, uh, exercise in the state sector most patients would not be able to access a lung transplant mm. in the private sector yes and remember, one of the other rate limiting factors is you would need to get a donor for a lung transplant. Right. Yes, lung transplantation is possible where you have such damage to your lungs that 
you would need to get a transplantation. Um, so it is possible, but in the state sector at the moment, not many people will be able to access it, and it's quite expensive. So it's a mm. very costly exercise. Is there a cure for silicosis? No, unfortunately not. There is no cure. Okay. All right. Uh, let's take a last call here because we are fast running out of time. Nora in Douglasdale. Morning to you. Good morning. Hello. Um, Doctor, I'd like to just ask you a question. What about kissing people on the mouth? Isn't that uh, dangerous? When people kiss each other on the mouth. Right. How safe is it? What were you concerned Hello? about yes. mostly? All right, Nora, like sorry, uh, Nora, okay, the prof will answer your question now. Okay. What I was asking is, what what particularly are you concerned about? About people kissing each other on the mouth. Right. We've told not, not to kiss each other on the mouth. Okay, all right. Okay, Norma. Well, um, and another, but I'd like to ask you, mm, sorry. Yes. I'd like to ask it another question. All right, no, sorry, Nora, we're just running out of time. Just let's get the answer to, to this question about kissing. Okay. Thanks, okay. Nora. Go ahead, Prof. Okay. All right. So I would say that kissing on the mouth is probably not dangerous in terms of respiratory problems because, remember, in order to get um, infected from a respiratory um, virus bacteria, you actually need to breathe in the particles. So coughing in someone's face is dangerous. Mm. That's where you actually get the transmission of the, of, the, of the bacterial viruses. But kissing usually is not that risky. But um, I, I think, you know, in terms of very young children, small babies, we would probably not advise that they get kissed by many, many people. But the, more dang- the most dangerous thing is actually when people are coughing because that's when you can actually... Um, mm breathe in the particle. All right, we're out of time. Thank you so much uh, for the input. It's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you, Professor, for your time. Much appreciated. Well, thank you very much, uh, Errol, and I hope you have a very good weekend. Thank you, and we'll talk to you again, no doubt. Professor Rufilwe Masakela, Pediatric Pulmonologist. Thank you so much.